professional musician, the, the fundamental aspects of getting better at, at what you do is something that you're passionate about. And so taking that journey and going forward um, is something that'll, that'll be really important. I would just, I would lump in composition with that. I would lump in education with that. I would lump in anything that, that is gonna make you a better overall musician uh, with that. Because you know? at the end of the day, if you're only focusing on one skill, um, you become expendable and replaceable. And as musicians, that's the last thing we wanna do. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Marcus Grant. Marcus, well, he's a go-getter. In addition to his career as a player and composer, Marcus is also a professor of music theory and oral skills at Virginia Commonwealth University, the co-founder and director of the Trumpeter's Multitrack Competition and Seminar, vice president of Diversify the Stand, and a member of the executive board of the National Trumpet Competition. Well, good thing he loves what he does. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! All right, and it is time for yet another exciting episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined this time by Mr. Marcus Grant. Marcus, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, man, pleasure's all mine. You are a busy dude. I mean, (laughs) you could say that. Yeah, I, you know, I I look at, at, at the things that you're involved in currently, and there's so many things, and I, I don't even know where to start with with some of them. But um, I'll I'll start I'll start with this question first because I, I love putting people on the spot first thing. Um, you you have studied with some very great players. Uh, I have two two in particular, uh, Rex Richardson, who I've had in the show, and Joey Tartell, who I've known for for years and had on the show. Uh, so um, let's start with this question: Who's the biggest jerk? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any jerks. I don't have any teachers who are jerks. Um, sorry to disappoint you. I, I know I know Rex and Joey have both been on this uh, interview in the past. And uh, I don't know, I mean, maybe maybe uh, the, the listeners can make that decision as to as to who was the jerk. <laughs> I've also had some some other teachers uh, uh, along the way who worked with me for brief periods of time. Uh, my freshman year, Rex had uh, Mary Bowden and as an adjunct professor who uh, was just great, you know, a, a, a wonderful uh, teacher and player. Uh, even, uh, I mean, obviously she has gotten a lot more noticeable by the overall trumpet community over the past decade or so, um, but she's always been great. <laughs> it wasn't one of those, like she stepped into the limelight and things changed, um, you know, and uh, there was also uh, Staff Sergeant Kevin Maloney who helped prepare me actually that last year in VCU, headed to uh, grad school at Indiana University. Um, yeah, all great uh, teachers and great people. Yeah, they, they're great. I, I love I love both Rex and and uh, Joey, uh, and uh, I just love the, the bus Joey's chops. So uh, any, any any opportunity I get to uh, to throw Joey into the bus, I, I never. <laughs> oh yeah, we uh, and, and maybe maybe some stories will come up in this interview. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll hold you to that. All right. So, um, yeah, you, you like you said, you, you did your undergrad at uh, VCU, and then uh, did your your grad work uh, in Indiana. And um, 
you know, so your your trajectory, um, and so you you've had uh, your was your undergrad uh, performance or ed? I did my undergraduate in music education. Okay. So you did the, the education undergrad. You did the performance uh, masters, and okay. um, you know, so so now you're you're on you're on faculty at VCU, correct? You're, you're teaching. That's correct. Yep, I'm teaching uh, music theory and oral skills currently at VCU. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, were you, were you bitten more by the, the, the teaching bug or by the, the performance bug uh, as you were you know, coming into your own as a, as a musician? Sure. Um, it was definitely the teaching bug. Um, I, uh, the moment I decided that I wanted to major in music, uh, I wanted to be a music educator. And um, it was one of those things that the first time that I was um, the first time that I, kind of decided that I wanted to pursue this for a living. Um, I had seen a, um, it was actually by watching a high school marching band, um, a particular group that had been um, competing in Bands of America. Um, Hickory High School, for those of you guys who are either familiar with the BOA or, or who live in Virginia and are familiar with those schools, um, we saw them when I was in high school compete at a competition. And a lot of bands uh, sometimes would uh, try to avoid them because, you know, they're in, in, in a different league of their own. They competed in the national circuit. Where we know, like, oh, if we see them, we're probably going to lose. Um, but we ended up running into them uh, at one point, and uh, I had never seen them perform. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, for whatever reason in my mind, uh, I wanted to know how they did what they did. But then I also wanted to figure out how I could help other people do what they did. Um, and so that kind of started things. And of course I, I played the trumpet and I enjoyed the trumpet. Um, but my, my love and, and desire for uh, refining my skills on the trumpet actually came a little bit later. And for a while, it was my means of uh, helping me to become a better educator. That if I was going to teach people to be great musicians, then I would need to expect myself to be a great musician as well. Um, it wouldn't really work any other way. And that was kind of how I thought uh, about it in my mind. Um, but I have to say, uh, by the time I finished uh, my undergrad, I started to realize just how passionate about trumpet I was. And, and so um, certainly studying trumpet performance at IU, uh, I was able to learn a lot of things and grow quite a bit. And uh, a lot of that growth was enjoyment for the instrument itself. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there certainly has to be a level of passion that's involved with it. And, um, you know, you and I brought up the, the you know, Rex and, and, and Joey, and then now you, you know, talked about uh, Mary Elizabeth and, uh, you know, you know, you, you've, you've had the opportunity to uh, study with uh, some people that I've had some really great conversations about uh, pedagogy with. And I think that are maybe some of some of the most creative uh, thinkers in terms of the way trumpet should be taught now. Uh, you know, certainly Arbenz had had his, uh, you know, had the corner market, you know, in his day. But yeah, the demands of the modern trumpet player, I don't think you could, you could not pick three better people that can help you to not just prepare for a, a career today, but for the next several decades as you know, music will continue to change. Uh, so what are some of like the the things that, that maybe stuck out with your experience with them uh, that kind of sparked your your interest in, in pedagogy even more and maybe have, have influenced you uh, in ways that you really didn't expect? Um, sure, I, I, I have I have sort of a, a rounded answer to that question because I mean, I think there's it's easy to talk about 
um, uh, about technique and, and about those types of things like, oh, you know, this person had an incredible sound or this person, you know, has an incredible technical prowess. And, and of course, all of these things are true. Um, but when I went into when I went into college and started studying um, with um, with these individuals, I kind of assumed uh, in my mind that, uh, you know, professionals were just kind of you know, built differently and they see the world differently from everyone else. And in a way they kind of are, um, but in a way they're also incredibly kind and down to earth and approachable. And so in my mind, I kind of came in with this idea that, um, you know, I had this insurmountable ladder to climb uh, as an individual uh, to becoming a professional. And what I really learned, and it really started with Rex and it was kind of kind of held true as I continue to meet more people and especially as I continue to study with individuals, is the passion and desire to practice intentionally, um, to make connections genuinely, um, and to go through that process. That's really the big secret to becoming a, a professional trumpet player. And, and then these days, um, being really great at the trumpet is required, um, but it's almost, you know, it's, it's a bare minimum type of thing. The reality is there are thousands and thousands of great trumpet players out there. And um, unless you yourself are a professional musician, some of the nuances that make someone more proficient than someone else might not necessarily be noticed. Uh, but what will be noticed is how well you work and interact with other people. And, um, you know, do you show up to the gigs on time? Are you a joy to work with? Uh, how adaptable are you when, when things go uh in ways that aren't expected and, and those types of things. Um, and I would even add, you know, maybe we're headed into there uh, in, the, in the future uh, uh, part of this interview. But as I started to get more into the quote unquote mainstream area inside of things, started posting things up on YouTube and TikTok, et cetera, uh, that became just massively increasingly apparent. And it was something I was really grateful that I, uh, that I learned from, uh, from my teachers. Yeah. Well, and, and actually that, that is a, a good uh, segue into that because, um, you know, social media has become, uh, I mean, it, it's part of our reality. You know, it's, it's not going away. If anything, it's just going to become more pervasive. And, uh, you know, the, the old ways of getting noticed uh, as a performer or to get your, uh, you know, your works uh, out to the public, that's uh, changed. And, um, you know, not everybody uh, always embraces change <laughs> and not all changes. Yeah. Uh, so you know, how, how do, have you navigated uh, this landscape of uh, social media and uh, digital content uh, as a performer and also as a composer? Yeah, um, that's a, it's a great question because it is, I mean, social media uh, moves and progresses is very quickly. It's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's true today more than ever. Um, you know, by the time you start college, there's a certain number of jobs and opportunities available. And by the time you graduate, it may have entirely turned on its head um, just because of how quickly things move. And uh, social media has kind of um, jump-started and, and, and kick-started that momentum and, and things are moving a lot more quickly and changing a lot more quickly. Um, I like to refer to social media as, um, as a venue 
for musicians, you know, and um, we think about, uh, you know, I don't want to call it the old way because it's still incredibly viable. And it's, you know, it's, it's uh, alive and active and an essential way of running a career. Uh, but if you're a, an international touring artist and you go out and you, you know, maybe you're sponsored by, you know, a company, Rex is sponsored by Yamaha. So I like using that example a lot. Rex would tour um, all the time, you know, and, and uh, he's probably going to get back into it. Obviously COVID made things really difficult for us to go out and traveling. Um, but, you know, I remember him traveling, you know, 180 days out of the year, and he always had time for his students, which was just a remarkable, you know, if you had a question, you could answer it if you needed help, uh, which was great. But he was he was out there and he was playing, you know, at, in Brazil and then he was playing, you know, in England and he was playing. He would travel everywhere. And um, every time he performs, there's an audience uh, of individuals who watch him who admire him, who want to know more about him after that experience. And his uh, notoriety kind of grows within that community. And then it grows in the next community where he goes, and then it grows in the next community and people ask him back. And then he gets invited to larger events and whatnot. Uh, and that happens over the course of a few years, you can start to build a really big uh, notoriety. The uh, blessing and curse with social media is that it is possible for you to gain um, for awareness of your existence as a musician, your merit as a musician, your ideals to be pushed out. Um, all of those things are possible um, rather than within a few years, within a weekend, uh, and sometimes within a few hours. You know, all it takes is putting up a video that happens to get picked up by the algorithm, or your audience tends to um, be really passionate about whatever whatever they see, and um, you could go from nobody knowing who you are um, to having millions of views and uh, everyone wants to know more about who you are. And um, I say it's a blessing and a curse because uh, the curse side of things is oftentimes we grow and we develop with our audience. And sometimes in social media, your audience might grow faster than, than you're growing. And you kind of have to catch up and you have to be able to understand um, one, what your audience wants and two, if it's the right audience for you, if it's, if it's your ideal audience. Um, but then of course it's a blessing because it means uh, it takes a lot of the, of the time, of the money, uh, of, of a lot of that side of things out uh, of the equation that maybe was required beforehand when it comes to meeting new people, when it comes to building your career and uh, your career can be built on autopilot. If you post a video up on YouTube, you're gonna get views uh, You know, at 8 a.m., at 11 a.m., at 2 p.m., but you're also gonna get those views at 11 p.m., at 3 a.m. And it's not specific to one particular performance. It would be like if you were a international touring artist, but you cloned yourself and you went to 100 or 200 or 4,000 different communities and performed all at the same time. Um, so it's a really great and powerful thing. Uh, what I will say is that I've been very careful with how I present myself on social media because I know once I put it up, um, it's going to be up there for, for good, you know? And when I say, um, when I say careful, you know, of course, sometimes I'm really silly on social media. I'll show a lot of my personality, uh, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I kind of want to ask myself if, um, if Rex saw a video of mine, would he be proud of me? Right. Would he want to, uh, you know, align his brand with mine? If Joey saw something that I put up, if, a, if an employer saw something I was putting up, if VCU wanted to hire me, um, which they did for a position would, they be deterred by my presence on social media or would it encourage them? Um, and so it, it, just, just a bunch of important things to kind of to think about and realize uh, at, in, at the end of the day, the core side of things, 
the basic principles of networking that we're taught and uh, and that at least that we were taught in college before things like TikTok, for example, came up just about four or five years ago. Um, you know, those basic principles are still applicable, but you kind of have to put them in hyperdrive, you know, and, and if you mess up, you might mess up in front of an audience of two million. So you just got to be careful. <laughs> uh, and that's how social media works. If you put something up that maybe you step out of line, for example, um, you know, things that that get traction, they don't necessarily get traction because of the high quality presentation. Uh, they get traction because it's engaging and it's by definition remarkable, meaning someone can remark on it and remarkable doesn't always mean good. Um, so if you do something crazy or controversial um, and you've posted maybe a hundred other videos, uh, that crazy controversial thing is the one that's gonna gain the most traction because people are gonna have to, people are gonna have things to remark on. Um, so. You know, it's just a matter of uh, understanding, you know, your your business and your brand uh, as a musician, and just being very careful that every time you you post something up, you're you're doing a good job with that. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. The the world has changed so much uh, over my lifetime, uh, you know. But I remember when I was when I was younger, one of my uh, music teachers uh, saying. Uh, in terms of like recording, like uh, doing doing kind of any kind of project, uh, you know, this is back in the days of yes, LPs and you know that that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah. Never, never record a song that you don't love, because it's almost guaranteed that that will be the one that becomes the most popular and everybody wants to hear. So you know, absolutely. Make sure, make sure that that everything you do has you know that it's something that that you enjoy and that, that you will be happy to do for for the rest of your life and i'm a big believer in um you know always putting your best foot forward not in not being fake about it but understanding that uh you know like the old saying you know first impressions are lasting um that you with with social media you're constantly making uh these impacts and and these impressions on people and uh, you just never know who's going to watch something. And especially, you know, I tell kids all the time, uh, you know, think about the stuff that you're putting up. Yeah, it could, it's fun. It's goofy. But, you know, is this really how you want to be remembered, you know, five years or 10 years from now or when, when your next potential employer is, is looking into you because everybody is doing that now? Uh, you know, are you presenting yourself as being the kind of person that you truly want to be? So, um, yeah, it, it's a whole different landscape. There. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, but but with with the, the you know, the 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 uh, advantages that we have is, you know, we're saying that you, you can get out in front of people, you can get your content in front of people that would maybe never see you or hear you before. And one of the projects that you've been involved with which I really found fascinating uh, and enjoyed is uh, the, the multi-track competition. Uh, so how did that come about? And, you know, where do you see that kind of in the pantheon of, uh, of trumpet uh, opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about uh, with regard to TMTC. Um, I know we've had the pleasure of having my, my good friend, David Cook, uh, here and we also had um, uh, last season's winner, Cameron um, was here, and uh, both both great interviews. And um, it's just been it's been really cool to see how the competition uh, and the seminar both have uh, affected our trumpet community, even in the two short years that that we've uh, been present. Um, funny enough, it kind of started as a, I mean, so David had been posting um, things up on social media, 
Brandon had been posting up videos on social media and I had been posting videos up on social media. David and I have met actually in person uh, when we were in college. We both went to a seminar together. Um, but Brandon and I actually to this day have never met in person. Um, but we we <clears throat> have become pretty good friends. And, um, you know, I've, I've been able to, to talk about a lot of the commonalities you have, especially through social media. But we got together at one point. Um, during uh, lockdown, you know, we we got out on a, on a Zoom call and was like, oh, you know, we should, you know, to just to keep our chops up to continue playing, you know, we would put up videos. We're like, we should put a collab. It'd be really cool to put a trumpet, you know, a tree out together. Uh, but as we started talking, the three of us realized just how much passion we have for um, the art of music and presenting it in a genuine and effective manner uh, online. And it kind of morphed into um, this desire to uh, move forward with uh, a, a competition that would allow others to have the opportunity to do those same things and would encourage and promote others to do those same things. And of course, as trumpet players, we are, um, uh, you know, if we were experts in anything, it's, it's you know, the trumpet community itself. Um, so we wanted to keep it at an area that we could um, know that we could do a really great job on. So we put it together after it was maybe a two and a half hour meeting of us just talking. And we funny thing is we never actually ended up putting together that collab. In fact, the only one that we have done to this point, uh, it was months later. And we did um, we did a, a trio uh, arrangement of um, of Let It Go from Frozen. Uh, and that's actually on my YouTube channel. I say trio arrangement. There were uh, what, what really was it was a trumpet ensemble arrangement. And I kind of did all the interior parts. Um, David did the bass trumpet part. And uh, Brandon did the um, did the piccolo trumpet part, uh, which is really great. So we we eventually got our one collab in, but what we really got in was um, you know was a competition in which we're able to serve our trumpet community in a way that's relevant to what they are doing today and what they need to do in the future. Um, so it really just came about as as that passion. Um, and we're we're kind of looking at this thing. Uh, it's it's like we mentioned, um, the world changes rapidly, and we want to make sure that we're always um, progressing and moving forward with uh, the current events and with the uh, you know with everything that's going on in the world, in our careers, uh, in social media, et cetera, because that's the platform uh, from which we're on. Um, but regardless of, of of how things progress, you know, we're just trying to bridge the gap between the, um, you know, professional musicians and the rest of the world, you know, uh, oftentimes as a, as a, as a trumpet player, um, if you go and you study for a certain amount of years in, in college, for example, and you go out and say you get an, an orchestra gig, um, the lion's share of the world of the community, um, is going to have no idea what you've been through. Uh, and have no idea what it takes to do what you do and won't be able to understand a big part of that and being able to engage in something and a lot of them won't know what you're capable of either what you've been uh, asked to do what the experiences that you've had uh, through that process so one of the uh, benefits of being able to have a competition like the multi-tracking competition where anyone can watch it at any time you can skip to any part of a video and see anything um, is we have the opportunity to kind of put our best foot forward and to show that in front of everyone not just our fellow trumpet geeks, um, but also in front of our families, in front of our loved ones, um, in front of uh, individuals who we maybe met in middle school or in high school, and, and they really want to, okay, what do you really do? Because people, you know, we, we get asked that question all the time. It's like, you play trumpet? 
for a living? Um, tell me how that's possible, right? And, and you know, it's a lot easier to show rather than to tell. Um, so yeah, TMTC is really kind of working on building a community that allows individuals to be able to express themselves in that manner. And um, a big part of that, because we have this high accessibility to an audience that may never go to orchestra concerts, uh, that might never see a military band uh, and that type of thing, we are also um, encouraging those who participate in multi-tracking to uh, do things that are native to the platform that they're a part of that um, are indicative of the type of audience that's on that platform. So sometimes it's Mahler, but sometimes it's pentatonics. And um, if as a musician, we're able to perform in such a way that um, audiences are able to enjoy it, no matter what it is, then, um, then we've gone really far in our career, you know? So um, it's a hard and lofty goal, unless you're putting yourself in that position and team to see kind of, you know, we work to try to give people the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great. And, you know, in terms of, of uh, you know, the, the virtual nature of things, um, like even this podcast, uh, you know, my, my original idea when I was doing this was that it was going to be me going to, uh, you know, ITG or NTC or, you know, some seminar somewhere and just hanging and, and talking with people and, and kind of putting it together there. And then COVID happened. And yeah. so I suddenly find myself, well, I, you know, I, I really can't do that. Um, but the advantage of it was, well, one, everybody was available uh, because, you know, we're all sitting around waiting for something to do. But yep. the important thing was, is that it removed the restrictions of time and space that, you know, I can schedule an interview with, uh, with you today. Uh, I could schedule an interview later this afternoon if I wanted to, if they were available, with someone in London or in Australia or in China. You know, I, I, I'm not restricted by the, the time, the space, and also the money, because let's face it, it's expensive to travel. And for a lot of people, I, I think in terms of like, you know, for, uh, particularly like uh, you know, college students and, you know, people that are starting their career, um, it's difficult to justify, even though it is a career investment, is sometimes difficult to justify the cost that's involved with going to these more traditional uh, competitions and showcases and things like that. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing against the, you know, the, the, the tried and true established ones, but um, it's, it, that's just a reality. I, in my martial arts career, that was always the problem is that I would have to travel all over the, the world basically uh, to go to yeah. competitions. And it was, you know, thank God back then it was, you know, I could fly to the West Coast for under $200. Now that's not possible. <laughs> no. So you add the travel expenses, the registration expenses, room and board, food, blah, 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 all the all this sort of stuff that goes into it. Um, yeah, I, I see something like, uh, you know, what you're doing as being such a great service because it opens a door for people who would in many ways not have the opportunities to do what you're, you know, you're giving them uh, this, this option to be able to be a part of. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that's one of the things that um, was one of our big goals as well, just <clears throat> to be able to heighten the element of accessibility. And when we first started TMTC, um, we actually put it together with the premise that you can you can start this thing, you can do this with a computer, a cell phone, right? And um, and you really still can, you know, and, and um, we're um, uh, circling around a bit on kind of reminding people uh, how that's possible and why you should uh, you should care <laughs> that that's possible because um, because it's true you know anytime you have to travel somewhere there's travel expenses there's lodging expenses etc and the reality is uh, there are still more students uh, more individuals than than people might realize that um, sometimes can't even afford to buy a new pair of shoes. Uh, and so how are they going to afford to travel to ITG? Maybe they want to travel to ITG. Maybe they want to travel to NTC. Maybe they want to travel to, to one of these um, areas where they're going to get that lifelong experience and build those connections and meet those people. Um, but they just don't have the means to. And if they're not at a college uh, that is able to or is willing to give them the, the money funding to do that, um, then they're just kind of stuck. And, um, you know, and it's, it's just a shame. There's, there's far too many musicians out there who when given the opportunity would be able to excel to allow that to continue to be an issue. Um, and so, you know, that's, that was kind of one of our big goals uh, through TMTC was to make it, um, make it accessible to those individuals who um, either could never go to one of those events, or maybe you can't go to all of them all the time. I mean, even myself, I mean, I would love to go to uh, every single trumpet event every year. Um, but it's just, you know, the reality is most musicians don't have that money. Um, a lot of us, you know, have that time because it's, it's something that's really passionate for us. But I mean, if you go to every event, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars that are coming out of your pocket. And uh, sometimes an annual salary's worth of, of money would cost just just to go to those events and it's just not reasonable or possible for many people and uh yeah it, it is it, it's time this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell with Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I mean, it's energy and, and uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on with that. So what's, uh, what's on the, the horizon for uh, season three of the competition? Uh, that's a good question. Um, there are some things that we are discussing as, um, as directors that, um, maybe we're not quite ready to announce yet, but there are some things, um, that, well, first of all, and, and for those, anyone who wasn't, uh, who didn't see the announcement at the end of season two, we are taking a little bit of a short break. And what, uh, that short break entails is us just taking a little bit of time to spread out into the community. And like we were talking about before, giving more people, uh, you know, an accessible uh, element of a voice. One of the things that we have been doing this past month um, was we uh, started releasing out, uh, we partnered with Diversify the Stand to do a call for scores uh, for marginalized and underrepresented composers. 
and um, and we had some really great submissions and uh, have been putting out some some videos to kind of represent their works. Um, a lot of things like that we're going to see more of in the future. Um, we're currently discussing how to best package um, the educational side of things, the seminar side of things of our competition in a way, again, uh, that is accessible. So a lot of the things that we're doing and preparing for season three is giving those resources that are available. Um, one of the things we realized, um, which is obviously there's always two sides to a coin, um, but when we, especially during season two, uh, when we had uh, competitors submit entries, um, we see some some great phenomenal creative musicians and producers put together some really high quality work. And um, even in season two, we started getting a, a number of individuals who thought to themselves, well, you know, I would love to apply and I would love to compete, but you know, I just don't have the time to put together, you know, videos of that quality while I'm doing all the other things that I'm doing or, you know, I don't know how to get started or whatever the case may be. And, um, and so just being able to get people um, in a position where we can kind of bridge that gap between what they have seen from, you know, our top three, four, five, six uh, finalists in previous seasons and what they're capable of doing. Uh, we're kind of putting a really big focus on that. So there will be some uh, products, some classes, et cetera, uh, that will be released um, in between now and the start of the third season that will assist people in doing that. And um, what I can say about season three is that um, we are just working to make sure that our competition remains accessible to everyone. Um, and, uh, and anything that we can do that makes that possible is something that is, uh, is that we discuss something that's worth discussing as a group. Oh, oh, well, hopefully when you guys get this all ironed out, uh, you will do it. You can do a big announcement on my show. How's that? We'll, we'll, we'll do yeah, that. absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, we can, um, Brandon hasn't, hasn't, uh, come on yet, has he? So we can, we can volunteer him. <laughs> That, that that sounds that sounds awesome. <laughs> he, can, I mean, he can give you the announcements. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, you know, <laughs> and maybe, maybe you can actually, you know, this is just my my crazy mind at work. You should guys should set this up almost like the Oscars, uh, maybe without the slapping. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, yeah, right, uh, yeah, you know, best you know, best production, best videography, best uh, you know, recording, best arrangement. Absolutely. You know, so, you know be, yeah. Like, all kinds of fun stuff uh, going on. Um, but, you know, we, we've been talking about the virtual, uh, but, you know, uh, as I talked about, like the, the more uh, established, iconic uh, physical events that have been going on uh, for, for a while, uh, you have, uh, you're really involved now with, with uh, the National Trumpet Competition, which is, you know, kind of the more the, the traditional uh, kind of idea that we, we see for, uh, for a, a trumpet competition. Uh, so, you know, how did that come about and, and uh, what, what's your role in that and, and how do you see uh, the lessons that you've learned uh, from doing so much virtual work spilling over also into uh, how you can help to shape what's going on with NTC? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I love that question because, I mean, when we talk about the virtual thing, 
I'll, I'll, I'll get to there. I'll try to get to there organically uh, as much as possible, but um, you know, there, every physical entity has to have a virtual element of it in today's world in order to stay relevant, um, whether or not that's the main thing that we do. Um, so uh, a, a big part of my work with NTC is related to that. But if I go, if we go all the way back to I, the, the very first performance I saw um, that, uh, uh, that kind of stuck with me for my life, um, from the national trumpet competition was, uh, it was, uh, I want to say 2009, um, the winning trumpet ensemble and the trumpet ensemble division that year, which was Juilliard, uh, they did an arrangement of festive overture. And, um, and at the time I was, uh, obviously a lot younger than I am now. Uh, we all were 2009 was a while ago at this point. Um, but um, I did not even realize, uh, first of all, that trumpet ensembles were a thing that they could get together and perform. Um, and this was right before I, I started college. Um, but that trumpet ensembles would, would go to national competitions and perform at their pinnacle and that this could be a thing. Um, and to be fair, it was still fairly new, uh, even at that time, the, the whole trumpet ensemble um, act. And... Um, I saw that happen and I just became uh, instantly inspired by what people were capable of doing on the instrument. And like I said previously, I, I first uh, decided I wanted to major in music education and um, I, I took the trumpet with me because it was my main instrument and uh, trumpet became a, a big, huge passion for me later. But obviously um, watching the ensemble division also led me to watching uh, performers in the solo division. And I was just uh, uh, just taken aback by awe um, by what performers were able to do in that setting. So um, the National Trumpet Competition became a big part of my college career just because I, I wanted to, I wanted to attend as many times as possible. And I wanted to, I, I just wanted to be able to be a part of that environment and sort of take in all of the great and wonderful things that was going on in our trumpet community. So we progressed through that and, uh, you know, and I, and I graduated and doing my thing at, you know, from a, from a social media standpoint, um, side of things. And, um, because of my involvement over the years, I had had the opportunity to, to meet a number of people and, uh, through social media individuals who, you know, maybe hadn't met me in person before, had the opportunity to kind of get a bigger feel for um, for what I was about and the things that were important to me. And um, of course the trumpet multi-tracks came as, a, uh, as an outgrowth and eventual growth out of uh, you know my passion for a trumpet ensemble that had been built all those years ago. And, um, and so uh, I had the opportunity at one point to, uh, to judge the national trumpet competition uh, preliminary division. And, um, the first, the first division I judged was the graduate school division. So a couple of years ago, and, um, you know, it was just, it was a really great and positive experience. And, and I made it clear that I, that I would love to be a part of it in the future. And, um, the, the next time that they invited me, um, Bill also invited me to, to judge, uh, the on-site event. Um, so of course, I went there to do that. And one of the things that I, that I hadn't realized through the pandemic, because in, in a lot of ways we were kind of in our own islands, like we've talked about before. Um, but I knew that my career had, had continued to grow because I had continued to push things out there, but I didn't realize um, just how quickly 
uh, my career had grown through social media, through the building of NTC, through all these other things. And when I went to NTC, I realized there are people who uh, were hunting me down and wanted to ask me questions about composing, about social media, about those types of things, um, which is super great. And to me was super humbling uh, that, you know, that people cared about my career, you know, in that regard. And uh, as I was able to, you know, have those conversations with those individuals, when I, um, what I started realizing really quickly was that there was a really big respect for, for, you know, how we could use social media to augment our career and to kickstart our career and to enhance our career as musicians. Um, so uh, Bill Stoman came to me and, and asked me um, if I was interested in, uh, in joining the board of directors. And uh, obviously in, in the Trevor community, the, the networking and connections you do, uh, like we talked about before, as long as you're continually putting yourself in a manner that you're that you can be proud of, that you're okay with presenting to the world. Um, you know, people can find out a lot about you really quickly. And um, they knew that uh, that I was someone that they thought would be um, a great representation on the board for NTC and that my specific knowledge with, uh, with the social media side of things uh, and the other online presence side of things was going to be very beneficial for the competition moving forward. Um, so that's how that came about. Uh, I accepted the position on the board. It's been really great. There've been a, a number of uh, individuals who have joined the board as uh, others have, uh, have retired and moved on to other things, focusing on their careers, et cetera. Um, and it's just been uh, a really big, uh, it's been a really big pleasure and a really great joy. And even in the off season, a lot of things that we've been doing, we set up a new website, um, you know, and the website is, um, is, is cleaner and clearer and a lot easier to follow. Um, and the information is up in a way that, um, you can learn a lot more, a lot easier. And, um, we've already started putting together, uh, I guess, artists and masterclasses, et cetera, that are, um, more pertinent to what students of today and of tomorrow, um, are going to want and need in order to be successful. Um, but boy, has it just been a pleasure, you know, being, being involved with NTC, um, because every time you go there, you start to see, and this is on the, uh, the previous board of directors and the artists, et cetera, that have been invited there. The community is just such a warm and encouraging community. Um, and there are times in the traffic community where that's not the case. Um, and it's always, you know, because of whatever happens at top is going to trickle down to uh, whatever community is associated with that. And so um, those, the individuals that are up there, you know, Dr. Dennis Adelbrock, Dr. Bill Stoneman, et cetera, and, and the members of the board previously um, have really done a great job of setting up that wonderful community. Um, and what I'll mention as an aside is that NTC, a lot of people don't know this, which is something we're trying to do better on in the future, but um, the events at NTC are free to attend. You know, if they're if especially if they're in your neck of the woods, you should absolutely be going and checking out to see, you know, to see what is going on there. It's an event that um, there's certainly enough value to pay plenty of money to go see. Um, but if you're not competing, if you're just going there and you're spectating, um, all you need is to get yourself there. Yeah, I've uh, I've gone to a few NTCs, uh, you know, as just as a a casual observer and uh, I've also gone and, and as a, as a rep for different companies. Um, and I've always had a great time, always had a great time. It, it, the, the vibe there is, uh, is phenomenal. Everybody's just kind of having a, a great time. And, you know, the, the things like NTC are, are a big inspiration for what this is. 
Uh, you know, yeah. it's, you know, the, it's the hang it, it's getting to, to talk to people that, that you share uh, a very important passion with. And uh, whether it be talking with a performer, talking with an educator, talking with a composer, um, you know, it, there's there's some aspect of, of what we love about what we do that you can connect on. And then uh, you can get into these deeper conversations to get to know people and and maybe pick up some information. You know, yeah, you know, some of the best lessons happen at the hang. So uh, and yeah, that's really the best part of NTC is the hang. Yep. And, and it's not always I think sometimes we, we lose sight of. Uh, you know, the, the fact that, that the best lessons or the, the most important or impactful lessons uh, are rarely about uh, technique or, you know, how, how to do something on the horn. Uh, it's, a, it's about the life approach and, and the, the skills that you need to navigate a successful career. So, um, you know, and everybody at NTC has always been so willing to just sit and talk and, and just be real. And, and I, I do love that, that there's not, that's something that I do miss, uh, the, the real time sitting there with a group of people and the energy. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we had to do what we had to do with, with the lockdown, but, uh, well, yeah happens next year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the impact that, that you uh, make in, in the, the contributions that you bring to, to the table. Um, and something that you said about that was interesting, that, you know, it's the, what do you think about it in terms of, of uh, you know, NTC, the ITGs, the, the established uh, things, uh, or we think about it in terms of uh, our educational system, uh, that we have, you uh, sometimes unfortunately people that are not not even teaching people teaching students uh for today they're teaching what used to be and you know you said about uh preparing uh, preparing uh young players for a uh, career today and for the future uh there has to be this level of forward thinking so uh, from your perspective as someone who's been involved you know who's involved with the those uh, traditional organizations uh that is in a, a higher educational background you are doing all these kind of creative things um what do you see are kind of the sticking points of the way that we have been approaching and what are the things that we need to really begin to consider to move ourselves uh, into the future and with the, the best possible results? Sure. Uh, so there's there's a lot of fundamental aspects. And, and, and what I want to say is, I mean, colleges and institutions, uh, for the most part, are very good at training us um, to solidify those fundamental aspects. So fundamentals could mean fundamental technical skills. How do you produce a clear sound? How do you produce a full sound on the instrument? Um, and how do you go about the process of refining that sound? Um, but also some fundamental aspects could be how do you interact with other musicians, with other potential students, um, with other potential employers? And um, those, are, those are all great things. Um, the balance between those fundamental skills that we need that are necessary for us um, not to not to get a job per se. And, and a lot of times we forget this in, in college. College prepares you to have a shot <laughs> at getting a job. You don't get a job because you graduated college, right? It, it prepares you to, to apply. Um, so those skills are really necessary, but also um, the skills that are particular and pertinent to whatever 
career you want to do. And just generally speaking, never closing the door. You know, we make a lot of assumptions as musicians that, oh, you know, I have to give away this passion or this desire or whatever the case may be so that I can focus on my career. But at the end of the day, um, most of us do music because it is one of our biggest passions. I don't really see many people going into music school, especially not classical musicians or jazz musicians, um, because they're in it for the money. That's just not a thing. Um, you know, I, most of us aren't rich, right? Most of us aren't making seven figure incomes by playing our instrument. Um, so the passion is there. Uh, we took that initial step going into college, uh, that initial risk of saying, I'm going to follow my passion. Um, but then for whatever reason, we then say, all right, now I'm going to close out all of my other passions or that I'm going to pigeonhole this passion into one tiny little niche. Um, and the crazy thing is we can, we can speak obviously about how things are ever changing in the future, but it hasn't even been true in the past that musicians uh, have gotten to where they are by sticking to one individual thing. You don't have to look very far. Um, Chris Martin marched drum corps where he was, you know, playing professionally in, a, in a, an orchestral setting. Um, Tom Hooten was in uh, the Marine band, you know, before he, you know, played for LA. And obviously there are things that happened before then. And there are some elements that, um, you know, maybe didn't even necessarily have to do with music that individuals did, you know, is there are teachers who, I mean, majored in anthropology in college, um, who uh, worked for America online, you know, for the dial-up internet, right? And and for things like that. Um, and, and all of those experiences, every experience you have uh, helps you to build your career uh, in the future. And if something's your passion, it's not something that you should throw away. So I'll, I'll give an example for myself. Um, I would, I probably would be a lot further. Well, I definitely would be a lot further in social media if I got rid of that assumption in my mind when I was at VCU um, that I, I had always had a passion for, for, you know, YouTube and Instagram came up and I wanted to learn all those things about that. And, and I was very big. I spent a lot of time on my free time, you know, when I wasn't practicing, when I wasn't doing my homework, um, you know, the, the one hour of free time a year that you get as a music major, right. I would spend that time and I would, uh, I would, I would, you know, sort of engross myself in social media. And I would always say to myself, Oh yeah, it'd be really cool to do this someday. But, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing a music career. So, you know, I'll just have to put it on the back burner. If I had incorporated it into my life uh, at, at that age and allowed that time uh, to grow, um, there'd be some incredible things that would be possible for me today. And they still will be possible in the future. Uh, now that I've at some point, I, I decided, well, okay, you know, this is too much of a passion to let go. Let's incorporate it into my career. Um, but as we go through that process as um, as musicians and especially through academia, um, I think we just sometimes get uh, we get into that trap of thinking, oh, I have to focus on one specific and tiny aspect of things. Um, so to kind of go back to to uh, the point, you know, part of the original question you asked, which was how do we how do we stay relevant? Um, just you know, and this this sounds blunt, but you know, there are things happening in the world around us, you know, the world is changing and we're not in, uh, we're not in our own kind of, uh, bubble. You know, we, we see these things every day. Um, the, that's the step is saying, how does this relate to what I'm doing as a career, you know, and maybe you want to be a professional, uh, orchestral trumpet player. Maybe you can still do that. Um, but the reality is, you know, there are plenty other things that you can do. And if there's something that you enjoy that you should do, that you should, you know, go through that process of learning and figuring out how to do, that will be as much of a benefit, if not even greater 
of a benefit to you in your career. Um, if orchestras were to shut down all at the same time, um, you know, people like Tom Hooten would be fine. People like Chris Martin would be fine. Uh, like Mike Sachs, et cetera, they'd be fine because they didn't stick themselves to one individual uh, part of that career. They can go out and, and do other careers. They can teach, they can tour. Um, some of them will, will actually find their way onto social media and do some pretty good things themselves, which is really cool, you know? Um, but just, just teaching to the skills that we need to be you know, functioning humans today. And then how do we translate that um, into our, into our business? Um, so I, I just, I think it's, it's really important. And um, you're right. I mean, you insinuated and in, in some, some institutions we're, we're just teaching people to do one thing, you know, and it might be one thing that isn't nearly as big or popular as it was, uh, as it uh, may have been 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And um I, I don't know. I just think it's a shame. I think that um, if you're going to make a an investment of tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in your career, that uh, would you not want something that is relevant and pertinent to today? Um, so the fundamental aspects of making a good sound, but then maybe you want to be a recording artist and uh, for a live orchestra for a movie, you know, for a film, right? Well, okay, who are the individuals that are in that craft? Um, what are the things that they do? Uh, how have they built their skills? And how is that film industry moving today in a way that you can kind of position yourself that way? And everything from regarding how you continue to refine your sound to how you network and everything in between is going to be an important element uh, of that goal. Uh, some schools do that really well. Yeah. Well, and... and it's up to you know the you know the people that are in your position right now the, the 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 current educators and to the next generation of educators so you know if if you're someone uh who's listening to this podcast and and you're uh in your yeah and you're in, you're in high school you're in college and you're, you're getting ready to start your career and and education is your passion um i think the key is is that you have to to keep those passions alive um a big thing for me has always been as a teacher, uh, I want to be the teacher, the kind of teacher that I never had. You know, I want to think about all the things that, you know, I've learned over the years uh, and and uh, like, wow, man, if I only had someone who who considered these things or approached things from this way, uh, I would I would probably be a lot further on. So I try to become that person uh, and, and stay on top of things, too. Um, and I, I think one of the, the important things, you know, that, that word passion, um, because in my life, I've done so many different things. And for years, I always thought that I was like, like, man, I'm wasting time because, you know, I've, I've gone from this career to this career to this career because I've had so many different careers in my life. Uh, but now I'm at a point where I can look back and go, oh, well, these were all just different expressions of my passions. And so while they may not have been in the same career field, I was still doing the same thing. Uh, and, and now I'm at a point in my life where I can, where now that I understand it, I can bring it all together. And I think that, that if we can, you know, if, if you're 20 some years old and you can figure that out, or you have somebody uh, that, that can help mentor you to understand that um, if, if this is something that's really that important to you, uh, you know, if, if social media is that important to you and, and if 
if trumpet, if music is that important to you, and if something else is that important to you, figure out where those things overlap. If you take them like a Venn, Venn diagram, find out where they overlap, because that then is a, the place where you're going to have the biggest impact, you're going to have the most joy, and probably the potential of, of having the most successful career because career is not always, uh, you know, about how much you make. It's, it's about how much you're able to do. So, uh, yeah, I really, I really like what you said about that, about, you know, staying with those passions. So uh, I could go way down a rabbit hole on that. But, uh, yeah. but one, one of your other passions, so we, we'll, we'll use as our, our, our springboard for this, is composition. So uh, you, you are currently teaching uh, theory at, uh, at VCU. So there's definitely that, that passion for uh, the, the actual process of writing and, and uh, understanding music and the, the, the technical side of it, other than just the, the production through the, the instrument, uh, but the, the theoretical concepts of, of what makes music music. And, uh, you know, so... Yeah, from from your perspective, obviously, you're going to be, you know, a little bit, you know, prejudiced on this. But what is the role of music theory, of understanding music theory uh, in terms of improving your skills as a, as a performer? And then also we'll talk about like your compositions and, and how that uh, has become a natural, uh, you know, add on to, to all the other things that you've been doing in your life. Sure. Um, so music theory is a study of music and the, and the goal, the, the primary goal and the most important goal. And you're right. I'm very opinionated about this because um, uh, oftentimes we, we kind of uh, turn this thing on its head. But the goal for, for music theory is to get us to understand why music works the way that it does. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we introduce these things we're like, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You know, check out this proper voice lead and check out this and that and the other. These things exist because we saw music that worked really great in the past and we noticed patterns and we assigned labels to those patterns. And we said, oh, if we apply these patterns uh, on purpose in the future to other elements, we can kind of emulate some of those great things uh, that were happening from our composers of the past. And um, obviously, like we've been talking about in this interview, the world continues to grow and develop and change. So ideally, what we want to ask ourselves, especially when we use music theory uh, from a compositional standpoint, is how do I use the, um, the basic fundamental elements that make music what it is to help progress the, um, the uh, overall community and style of music for the future? And, um, and so a lot of times in, in music theory, we kind of get into this, well, there are all these rules and I have to make sure that I follow all these rules. Um, really at the end of the day, you're being taught the rules so that you can understand when and how and why to break them. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we say, oh, you have to do such and such. Well, also, you know, what we really should be adding is you have to do this unless there's a specific reason you wouldn't do it. Um, so, you know, for example, if you have, um, if you have jarring voice leading, um, you know, but there's no reason for it, then it kind of takes the listener out of what uh, they might expect to hear in music. There's sometimes where you're writing a piece of music where you do want to take the listener out of that experience. And so you would intentionally use, um, you know, heavy dissonance or jarring voice leading or something of that sort, uh, in order to make that happen. Um, so, 
at the end of the day, the role of music theory is to kind of teach us how music works, uh, how that genuine emotional connection um, is created and how it can be affected so that then you can use that to your advantage uh, as a performer to understand why certain things sound the way that they do and what you can do to uh, to help that and to make it your own. And of course, as a composer, what you can do to, um, to, to tell your story and to convey those emotions using the technical skills that you know, the behaviors of music and how we interact with it. Um, so that's the goal um, of theory. And um, if we if we approach it that way, it can bring us really uh, a lot of really great success in our careers in the future, especially for those who are composers. You know, if we are asking ourselves, why aren't people listening to our our music? You know, you keep writing music and trying to put it in front of people and it's, you know, maybe people uh like it to a modest extent, but you really want to make that next hit, right? How do I, how do I do that? How do I make something that everyone's going to love and that everyone's going to enjoy? Um, well, the answers are, are right in front of us. We just have to figure out how to make it our own. Um, and, um, so using music theory to do that is going to be, um, it's something that will help us and it's to our benefit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're talking about like, you know, the theory, talking about composition uh and improvisation to me is is i mean it's a spontaneous composition so uh you know just not you're not putting it down on the paper you just put it out in the ether um yep. but yeah but i think that uh yeah it's it's so funny because so many people you know you, you you'll find people that are, they're, they're really tremendous players and then you say well you know can you you know well hey can you improvise and like, well no i can't improvise or you know have you ever written well no i can't write um, I'm like, what do you mean? You can do that. You, you know, you, you, it may not be great, but <laughs> but you can do it. And I, I think that it's one of those skills that uh, can only, it, it, it gets better like anything else. It gets better the more you do it. And I think even if, if you don't have any desire to become a, a, a jazz soloist or to become uh, a, a, a published composer, uh, that the process of writing and arranging and improvising and, and studying the, the, the practical application of the theory, um, it, it only will make you a better player because you, you then understand better what the composer had in mind. You'll understand why those note choices are there. You'll understand why, how the voice leading works. You'll understand then how to, to, to create a, the emotion that you want through your, through, through your music, whether it's, you know, through dissonance or through the resolution or, you know, how, however you do it from the theoretical concept. Um, but, um, you know, it's just, it, it just amazes me that people feel like that's something that's beyond their capability. Right? So, you know, a, as a, as a teacher, you know, how do you, how do you help people navigate that? How do you help them to, to understand that, that these are just part of the natural process? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Sure. Um, I mean, and I, we, we haven't talked much about, about pedagogy. I think you have plenty of trumpet players who can talk about pedagogy. But one thing that I do want to share is that um, I, I kind of view the world. Um, I don't really believe that there's anything that is quote unquote difficult. Um, you know, I, I, I believe it's a matter of uh, how many steps do you have to take in order to achieve your goal? And so the reality is, I mean, uh, nobody, at least nobody that I know, uh, came out of the room playing the trumpet professionally. That's not something that, that's not a thing, you know. Um, you you practice and you work at it over time. And when we say time, we mean years and years and years and thousands and thousands of hours. And um, I think oftentimes as musicians, we forget. Most of us, when we first started as uh, musicians, we were not professionals, we were amateurs. And uh, we play the instrument because we enjoy it or maybe because our parents made us or whatever, whatever the case may be. And as you got older, hopefully it became your own, um, especially if you're doing it for a career. But um, we didn't have the trained ears, uh, the mature perspective that we did when we first started. So all of those things that were happening, uh, you know, us, you know, making terrible sounds and not knowing how to put down the right fingering and all of those things, um, we were just by nature less critical of ourselves when you first learn a skill in, in the craft. But then when you add something to it, uh, so for example, the, the music education uh, majors uh, always go through and they take methods and technique and other instruments. You pick up a violin for the first time and you want to go home and cry for the entire night. You're like, man, I sound so terrible at this instrument. And it's not something that you can learn overnight. Um, had you learned it when you were a child, you would have been super excited that you got a sound out of it. You know, and as you continue to progress as a musician, you you would continue to to progress with that understanding of how to make a great sound, uh, which would also push you that way. Since you're already there, since you're already at that understanding, uh, as as a as an experienced musician picking up a new instrument and or a new skill, um, we kind of have that goal to put ourselves up to the standard that we do with our main instrument. Um, but it's just not a fair thing to do. You know, the only way to get better at what you're doing is to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be great at the very beginning and to, and to, you know, engage yourself in that journey towards getting better. Um, I will say that and many people, you know, there are certain things in our world that people just think you have to be born with. Like you have to be born with high notes. You have to be born with specific, you know, like, oh, you know, the gap in your teeth and all these crazy things people say. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of instances in, with composing that and is just it's very similar. People will think you just you were born, you know, hearing symphonies in your head. Uh, no, it's not the case at all. You listened to music and you write stuff down because you thought it sounded cool. And then you continued to uh, build and grow upon that passion, either inadvertently as you were growing up, you know, through a childhood, or you did it uh, intentionally. And still to this day, that's how I learned skills. You know, um, I, I put a skill in front of me. I realized that I'm terrible at it, but I enjoy it. If I enjoy it, I'm going to continue moving forward. Okay, this is terrible. Why is it terrible? What are the steps I can take to make it better? And at the end of the day, um, you can get to the top of any staircase the same way as you would get to the top of any other staircase. And that's by taking one step at a time. And so as a, as a musician, um, absolutely anything that you do in the music field is going to make you better in other forms of the music field. The better I am uh, as a teacher, the better I will be as a composer, the better I am as a performer, the better I will be as a composer and vice versa. And so building those skills is going to be incredibly helpful for you to do. And in my mind, necessary, right? Because as I continue to learn how to improv, 
it helps me to understand how to become a better teacher as well, you know? And um, if I'm not good at any one of those things, then the reality is all I need to do is say, what are the steps that it, that I need to take to achieve those goals? Maybe I need to train my ear better. You know, maybe my oral skills professor knew what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, maybe I need to practice those intervals. Maybe I need to do those things. Or maybe I need to have a better understanding of uh, my way around a keyboard or whatever the case may be, whatever that context is. Um, but if you say to yourself, I'm not good at this because I haven't taken those steps yet. I want to be good at it. Let's take the steps. Um, then you start to open the world of possibility and you realize there's little in the music uh, career that you can't do. And the only limitation is your time. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're doing things, spending our time doing the things that we are passionate about and not the things that we feel like we have to do out of necessity, um, you know, which you know, hopefully, you know, as a professional musician, the, the fundamental aspects of getting better at, at what you do is something that you're passionate about. And so taking that journey and going forward um, is something that'll, that'll be really important. I would just, I would lump in composition with that. I would lump in education with that. I would lump in anything that, that is going to make you a better overall musician uh, with that. Because you know, at the end of the day, if you're only focusing on one skill, um, you become expendable and replaceable. And as musicians, that's the last thing we want to do. Yeah, no, that's great. So, uh, and you know, as a composer, uh, I know you just uh, just published a new piece, uh, and you know, you you've also been involved with uh, Diversify the Stand and, and and some other organizations, something like that. So, so obviously, composition is uh, a critical part of your musical expression. So, yes. uh, you know, can you tell me a little bit about about uh, your your newest compositional projects? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I know at, at, at the time that this, uh, this interview is airing, uh, we will have uh, completed Sonata for Heroes, the piece, uh, as well as closed the consortium. And a few weeks afterwards, uh, Dr. Jason Bergman at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University is giving his world premiere. That's going to be November 11th. Um, so we'll, we'll undoubtedly have uh, announcements coming out of, about that. Um, that piece and then it's it's cool there's a lot of a lot of what we've been talking about today kind of ties into um the idea and premise behind the piece um the idea of the composition is to help us to realize as musicians that the heroes that we've seen in the past um that have inspired us to you know to do what we want to do today um we are going to be the ones who become those heroes for the next generation. And um, it's really important in our world to kind of notice, you know, what happens when you build your craft, what happens when you follow your passion and you go out and, uh, and you build those careers, you create those careers and you join those careers that exist today. Um, you are, you know, making a really great career and an enjoyable life for yourself but you're also being uh, a really big touching and positive impact to the others uh, who are who are looking to be in your position in the future. So this sonata um, that uh, that will be out and available um, for those consortium members to perform over the next bit um, 
it really kind of plays on that premise. And uh, I use lots of themes that have to do with, uh, you know, when you listen to them, you, you would think superhero soundtrack, you would think film score, you would think those types of things. And it's a little bit of that, what we were talking about with uh, our conversation with TMTC, uh, this applies as well, just kind of bridging the gap between the, uh, you know, the, the mainstream music community, those who enjoy, you know, you know, the, the popular culture music and the film scores and that type of thing and classical classically trained musician uh, musicians and uh, jazz trained musicians, et cetera. And the things that we do in school and kind of taking elements from both of those and uh, bridging them together so that individuals who maybe never had any experience with uh, classically trained musicians or going to recitals like that of the sort, could find parts of the music that they enjoy, could find parts of the performances that they enjoy, that they understand, that they can relate to. Um, the piece has uh, already become one of my favorites uh, that I've uh, written. It's one of those things, though. I, I understand that this is just a part of my career, and it means that I'm growing, and I've had this conversation with many people. Uh, sometimes you write a piece of music similar to the way you would perform, um, and if it's recorded, you go back and you listen to it you know, in the future, and you'd be like, man, uh, I, I can do better than that now. Um, and so uh, I'm prepared for that. I know that's going to come. Um, but, um, but I've just, I've been really excited to, to have this opportunity. And um, at the, at the, in the day that we're doing this recording right now, we have 26 people who have joined the consortium. Um, and consortium is, a, is, you know, essentially a, a, a group commission. Uh, it's very similar to a micro commission, but there's one individual typically who leads that commission from a performance standpoint, who has the right to the world premiere, et cetera. Uh, and for this, that individual is, is Dr. Jason Bergman, and he's performing that. He'll be the first performer um, to do that piece. And then there are a couple performances already lined up in the future uh, for the piece as well. So it's going to be really great and exciting. And then any individual who wants to join the consortium, uh, you know, purchases at a, at a buy-in price um, that is determined by, um, in some cases, the composer, in some cases, the, uh, the performer, the consortium leader. Uh, and it's usually some sort of combination of, of the two. And um, yeah, so we've had uh, various uh, professionals and students from across the country um, join in and say, we're, we're excited for this. And, um, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really great. So, um you know, all I have to do is make sure that the piece is a piece that everyone enjoys. And, um, you know, we've got some, we've got some really great and memorable experiences going on there. Um, one of the things I didn't realize as a, as a composer was just how much in demand, um, great music of, you know, recent time is, uh, you know, and pe people desire the new music and they desire the new music that, is easily marketable that people can enjoy no matter what their uh, level of experience is and that people can perform no matter what their level of experience is. Um, and uh, it's, it's a part of bridging that gap between our, uh, our larger community and the smaller niche community. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and that seems to be a theme of what we've been talking about today is, is the, the concept of bridging the gap. And uh, yeah, I, I think there, there is, there's always a place for new music. Uh, and new voices in music, and uh, your your work with Diversify the Stand. You know, I've, I've talked with uh, with uh, Ashley and and uh, Carrie uh, about that in the past as well. That you know, there there are there are those of us uh, who are 
uh, part of communities that have, have typically not gotten the love or the press or the, the, the PR uh, that, that others do. And, and it's nice to be able to have an outlet for for composers of of groups that that have not been given uh the respect and and the the uh the presence that is deserving of of people so um i I just really i really appreciate you know your your work and and you know that new you know new trumpet literature is always good you know and and taking taking the new concepts and, and bridging the gap i think that's that's such such a cool thing to do so um you know do you have a have any other uh, compositions cooking around in your head right now that uh, that you might be hoping to to produce here in the next uh, year or two yeah, um, so I've, I've got a couple of uh, uh, solo commissions with some some individuals, but the, the next consortium is going to be a, a piece for Brass Quintet. I have yet to write an original piece um, for Brass Quintet, and um, uh, there aren't too many details parsed out right now, but my uh, my idea for that is essentially to write a, a single movement, um, a high-velocity style piece, and um, and to have people be able to join in. And uh, one of the things with, um, you know, as, as I've been going through the process, of, of building my career as a composer and um, more so I've, I've mentioned the term business I really do view my career as a business uh, because it helps me to be able to understand what my colleagues want what my audience wants and how I can best serve them um, but there is uh, a lot of desire for for uh, new brass quintet music out there as well and certainly I, I love the uh I love the ensemble in general. So when I put out the consortium for solo trumpet and piano, I put it out in mind that I was also going to put out a consortium later for brass quintet. Um, and I actually, the members who, who ended up joining this uh, consortium for, for trumpet and piano are actually going to get a discount on, on the buy-in if they also want to join in uh, for the brass quintet. So I'm working on that. I've got a commission um, for a uh, solo piece for a horn and piano, uh, and I've got a couple of other uh, commissions uh, in, on, the, on the back burner as well. So um, music is a, is a really, uh, music composition is a really big part of my career, especially considering it's something I never majored in. It just became this really big passion, uh, you know, as a, as in, like I said, you know, the more I wrote music, the better it made me as an educator and as a performer, uh, and vice versa. So I realized that, um, it was something that I, I never needed to sacrifice in order to focus on the other things. And because of that, it's become a really big an enjoyable part of my career. So um, I'm always writing new music. There will be some pieces in uh, maybe a little bit further in the future. I'm going to be expanding my wind band literature um, and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, but the next thing, I mean, we can, we can expect the brass quintet next. So uh, be prepared for that. All right. Well, and uh, if you want to keep tabs on what's going on with Marcus, just make sure you uh, visit his website. Uh, the links are definitely in the show notes for that. And, and uh, yeah, if you want to, Commission him to do a work for you. Well, you know, I'm sure we can work something out here. So, yeah, be happy to. All right, it's all good. All right, well, uh, we need to get to a couple of uh, of our standard segments here before we can wrap up today. Uh, and uh, we're going to start with our first one, which is uh, called Sound Off. It's brought to us by Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones, um, and it's about sound concepts. Uh, so let's uh, just get your your thoughts on. 
and, and let's maybe take it from this uh, this this compositional standpoint. You know, your your view as as a composer of of uh, how you view sound and its place in in the music and what maybe people can do to to get the the appropriate sound for a piece that you uh you're composing sure um well so uh the the biggest thing is to understand how sound um, affects us as human beings. And music is a, is a natural part of the world. We can't get a single day um, without listening to music and without listening to noises and sounds uh, in various ways that affect us in certain manners. And so um, if we're approaching this from a composer standpoint, um, understanding what memory do you want your audience to create and how do you want them to feel about that memory through that process? And then as a composer, what can you do to bring out that part of the process? Um, now, a lot of that comes intuitive to us. You know, when you think to yourself, say you wanted a piece that instilled uh, inspiration and hope in a listener. Um, there's a very organic way you can go about that, which is reflecting on yourself. Well, what helped you to instill hope and inspiration when you listen to music? And how can you emulate uh, the those aspects of what you're doing? We can also get super technical into it as well. I mean, we obviously talked about music theory and oral skills, et cetera, uh, through this interview. And you can say to yourself, okay, what type of modes, what type of modal mixtures, what type of themes do we see in music that brings about this feeling? Um, you know, for example, if I raise the fourth in the major scale, that's an example of something that raises a feeling of, uh, of, of hope and inspiration when you listen to music like that. One example of, of many ways that you can kind of uh, go about that. Um, but then the, the biggest thing is just, are you, uh, are you writing music in such a way that allows the performer to sound great while they do whatever that piece is? Um, so yes, writing music that is challenging, that is enjoyable uh, to listen to and perform, et cetera. Um, but are you going to, to be able to have a piece put in front of someone that no matter who the performer is, the uh, the audience is going to be able to uh, feel whatever it is that you want them to feel. Um, so sound really comes from that emotional connection that you have with the part of human nature. Um, we would not be humans without the presence of music. And so using that to our advantage um, will be very helpful. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love that. That's some, some, some great gems in there. All right. Um, our next segment uh, is called Geared Up. Uh, Geared Up is brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, Venture where technology design and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code TrumpetGurus21 to get 10% off your order. And this is about gear. I mean, come on, we're, we're, we're gearheads. Trumpet players are all gearheads. So, Trumpet uh, players, gearheads. I don't, I don't know any of those. No. What are you talking about? You know Cookie. <laughs> So, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on gear? The role of gear in uh, you know in producing music, and uh, you know, just I let you roll with that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, first I want to start about specifically trumpet gear, right? Because I, I think that's that's the relevant side of things. And at the end of the day, uh, gear exists to help you accomplish whatever goal you are looking to accomplish. Um, it is there to enhance your ability to do something, um, not to serve as the uh, reason that you're able to do something, right? At the end of the day, um, the skills that you build are gonna help you to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish. So for example, 
uh, certain metals create certain sounds. If you have a brass instrument, uh, you know, if you have, if you have a gold plated instrument versus a silver plated instrument, uh, they're going to have different sounds. <laughs> one's going to be brighter. One's going to be, uh, you know, generally speaking, smoother, different manufacturers will have different areas, different mouthpieces, uh, will help you to, uh, you know, expand certain areas of your playing. Um, at the end of the day, your gear is not going to be responsible for you accomplishing those goals, um, but it can help you to achieve those goals. So knowing what it is that you want to do as a musician, in this case, as a trumpet player, is going to be the first step. Um, and then you can pick out the gear to help you do that. So um, a big example of that might be, for example, if we take it all the way to the beginning band and you say you want your trumpet players to have a warm sound. Um, well, awesome. Do some research on what type of uh, instruments, uh, manufacturers, what mouthpieces, et cetera, that you would use that would allow your musicians to be able to do that. Maybe you're not choosing a, a, a mouthpiece with a shallow cup if you want your trumpets to be able to blend with the rest of the ensemble, for example. Um, so equipment takes a really big um, part in helping us to achieve those goals. Um, first, we need to know what those goals are and we need to actively define those goals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I am absolutely with you on that. All right. Uh, we have one final segment and this is uh, the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round. This is brought to us by Robinson's Remedy Rapid Relief for Your Sore and Tired Chops. Bunch of questions bouncing all over the place uh, just to get your brain all twisted up. So uh, are you ready for a little bit? No, let's do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is one of my passions. I, I, I like asking these kind of questions. All right, so let's go ahead and start. First question for you, who is the biggest influence in your life that is not a trumpet player? Uh, my uncle. Um, my uncle is a professional uh, basketball coach. Actually, he's a college basketball coach now. Um, he's had some experience uh, you know, in, uh, in the professional uh, realm of things. He uh, is the coach at University of Dayton right now. He coaches Dayton Flyers. And um, uh, there was one quote that he um, that uh, was in a press conference at one point, uh, not for Dayton, but for a previous team that he uh, taught. Uh, there was a, a star player who got involved in some things that were not becoming of the image of an upstanding human being. Um, and they were in the postseason. And, um, you know, he they knew that they were not going to do very well in the postseason without him. Um, it did not stop him from. Uh, from you know disciplining uh, his his team in a way that was uh, necessary for those who were involved uh and uh he's a quote when he was asked about that because people were saying oh well you know you had a really great chance in postseason um and he said that um that character is a choice um and you know talent is a gift and he actually switched it around i think talent is a gift character is a choice um was was the quote that he gave and what he wanted to emphasize was at the end of the day um Yes, you know, you can build your skills to a point. Yes, you can counsel the craft. Yes, you can do these things. It can have a really big impact. But the most important thing is what you choose to do and how you choose to carry yourself. Well, that's, he's definitely sounds like an inspirational dude. All right. Next question. What is your favorite book? Um, my favorite book is the Arbenz book because now I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this is this is a funny question. This is something that uh, I might actually uh, uh, 
uh, tick some people off by this answer. I do not read books very commonly in my in my uh, career. Uh, what I do do is listen to um, is listen to podcasts, and there is um, uh, the podcast that is hosted by. Um, Chris Doe from the future. He's a, a business entrepreneurial um, uh, artist, and he uh, brings uh, world-class individuals to his podcast to give interviews. And they basically talk about uh, how the business world is growing and changing and how we can relate to it as artists. Um, I, um, I, I love that type of thing. Uh, I love listening to how we can take an entrepreneurial approach to what we do. And, and again, like we've been talking about before, increasing our relevance uh, as musicians. Okay, cool. Uh, next question. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> uh, the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, this might also take some people off. As a child, uh, I, I watched the, the Lion King and um, I, I enjoyed watching it for the most part. Uh, I will tell you, I was scarred for life when I saw... Um, when I saw the uncle, uh, you know, kill his brother and blame the nephew and have the nephew live an entire life of a lie. And I remember as a, as a child, I don't know, I was like maybe five or six years old or something like that. When I first saw the Lion King, I thought to myself, there's no way that people in the world could ever do that. And I was kind of scared, like, well, what if, what if people like that exist? Um, and I, you know, I lived a big part of my life in fear. Like, like what if, what if, what if there are people who have lived that life? Um, and so, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of people don't, I mean, for me, sometimes I'll take certain things that I'll, that I'll notice and I'll zero in on certain aspects of that. And for whatever reason, as a child, that was one of those things I zeroed into, like no way an uncle would do that ever. Um, and I was just kind of mortified for my entire life. So, uh, you know, thank you, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? A harp player. <laughs> I would absolutely be in music. Um, and uh, I think harp is the most beautiful instrument uh, of all time, frankly. Uh, I, I think that uh, especially the, the, the sonorities that you get from there that aren't easily possible on the trumpet and the type of music that that allows, uh, the type of comfort that it brings to individuals who, um, who, you know, who listen to that type of music. Uh, it's just a really great and profound thing. Um, if, if I had to take it outside of music, it would be some aspect of, uh, of content creation of social media, um, which is what we're growing towards anyway. So, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I just love the idea of being able to um, share information, share experiences, and uh, create uh, positivity in the world on a platform that doesn't have the bounds of location. Okay, great. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Um, my favorite drink is Sprite. Um, I can't really tell you why. Uh, as a child, I just kind of, uh, I just kind of grew up on it. And it's one of those things, you know, I know a lot of people have certain, uh, you know, like, oh, they don't, they don't eat something or they don't drink something for their health or whatever. And I really have never drank, uh, you know, caffeinated uh, sodas. And people ask me, oh, you know, why did you make that decision? You're like, well, I, I mean, I don't really have a reason for it. I just, I just really like the way that non-caffeinated <laughs> soda tastes. Uh, and so things that, you know, I, I kind of grew up on Sprite and then like anything with caffeine tastes a little thicker to me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want that. No, I don't, I don't want the thickness. I, I want the, uh, yeah, I just want the taste of the carbonated water and, and, and the, um, uh, you know, the, the flavors that come from that. So yeah, nice. Sprite is my favorite. 
Okay. Um, you'd have a dinner party and invite any three living people. Who would you want to have there? That's a tough one because there's a big part of me that wants to invite people that I've met in the past. Um, but then at the same time, there's people that I've never met before, right? That I just would really want to 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 talk to and kind of, uh, you know, in some ways, in some cases, pick their brains, but also just like, just get to know them as people. Um, I would absolutely, without a doubt, I would invite John Williams to dinner. Um, I want to know um, what was going through his mind when he was 30, you know, and when he entered into uh, film scoring and, and started his career. And um, what did he maybe predict or see out of his career uh, at that age? And um, how and when and why did it change? And how did he grow and adjust to that? Um, I just have so much admiration for what he does. Uh, you know, and we, we talk about living composers and, and accessibility. I mean, that, that's it, the music that he has written will be here for centuries. You know, people will continue to listen to that music. John Williams is one. Uh, I would cross into the YouTube world. There's an individual younger than I am uh, who just recently crossed 100 million subscribers on YouTube. His name is Jimmy Donaldson. Uh, most people know him as Mr. Beast. Um, and he is known for making, uh, you know, extreme styles of videos, um, like literally burying himself alive for 24 hours and making a video on it uh, and things like that. But then he's also known oftentimes his uh, big challenges will involve uh, subscribers of his and, and other, uh, you know, people like that. And he will uh, oftentimes there'll be a lot of money involved in that he'll give really large prizes. So um, he started out by giving uh, he had a brand deal when he had about a million subscribers and he gave, uh, uh, he, he gave basically all that brand deal money to a homeless person. It was a $10,000, uh, and kind of helped that person get started on his life. And then, uh, you know, that video did really well. It blew up. Uh, his channel was monetized. So he made money from ad revenue. Then he also made money from his next sponsorship deal. And then he took both of those revenues and started giving money, giving that out in his next videos. Um, I just want to talk to him about YouTube. Uh, I want to know um, how he was uh, able to really develop the formula that he develops uh, because he is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing YouTuber today. And um, the the stuff that he creates, if, if, uh, if Mr. Beast gets a video that has 20 million views on it, it's considered a flop on his channel. I mean, that's considered like, man, that video didn't do well. Um, more like 40 million to 200 million is what you, you expect from the type of things that he do, of the things that he does. Um, the third person, I, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd, I'd have to think about it for a while. There's just, I mean, in the, the thing is, there's just so many people um, that, that I want to meet in general. Um, and I think what I would maybe say is, um, I probably would want to meet Selena Ott, you know, if we're, if we're bringing people to, to dinner, there are people, and, and I, I spend a lot of times, um, you know, watching, uh, individuals who have been able to do great things with their passion at those younger ages and what they do as they continue to build and grow. Selena Ott, of course, is a phenomenal trumpet player. Uh, if you were to think about, you know, uh, a cross between uh, Phil Smith and Hook on Hardenberger, uh, you know, and that's that's the type of sound she's making like in her 20s. And it's it's crazy. Uh, it's really and it, it's very easy to see 
uh, her passion for it as well. Um, and that's one of the cool things as well. Sometimes we get so uh, into the technique of refining our craft um, that we start to, the, the human element and the passion side of things kind of starts to um, make way for some of the more technical prowess and aspects of things. But when you hear Selena play, you can you can clearly hear um, her her broad sense of a mature musical approach and uh, just her overall passion. So um, I I would I would mostly want to ask her um, what um, what changed about her career when she uh, had the honor of uh, of first uh, getting first place on an international stage uh, because she became very visible very quickly. And how did she maybe deal with that change in her career? Okay, good. You can have three people from history. Who do you want to have? Um, it's a good question. I absolutely want to, I'm going to go with the, uh, the typical trumpet response and say, I really want to meet uh, Maurice Andre. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I want to know everything about <laughs> what he did. And, and a lot of the things I want to know how these people saw themselves, you know, because oftentimes in the world, we, you know, we don't ever see ourselves as, you know, oh, I'm a legend in my craft, uh, you know, and, um, most people really don't, and they have their own heroes. I want to know what inspired him uh, to do what he did. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to know, I want to sit in a practice room with him, you know, and kind of like get to get to know what are the types of things that, that he, that he went through um, in order to get to, uh, to where he get, to where he got. So um, absolutely Maurice Andre. Um, Let's see. This is by far the question I'm I'm the least prepared for. Um, I um, I feel as though I would really want to meet um, one of the uh, founders of uh, of our country. You know, like somebody like a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson, um, and just kind of get a feeling for. Uh, and the reason I say that, you know, it, it, it's. These, these individuals are, I mean, you know, the colonies obviously were colonies that embraced change. <laughs> um, they didn't like where they were in life and they, um, and they you know, put themselves in an environment where they could sort of uh, be the masters of their own fate and obviously went through a great deal of, uh, of challenges in order to do that. Um, I want to know when you commit to something like that uh, and you make that sacrifice of basically everything that you've ever known, right? Um, how, how did, how were they able to go about creating such a, um, a government that obviously has its flaws because we're human and we all have flaws, but how are we able to, um, how are they able to, to build the basis behind something that has existed um, over all of these years and, you know, hasn't been overthrown or, or anything like that. Um, so, um, so I would definitely want to meet, I would definitely want to meet one of, one of those individuals. Um, I don't really have a third person. Yeah. Well, I can try to think of one. Okay. Okay. You can make fun of me. You can say I failed, I failed this question. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lacquer plated or raw? Uh, lacquer plated. All right. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, I won't explain that one. It's okay. just my preference. All right. What's your, <laughs> what's your favorite quote? Um, by Joey Tartel. Um, 
someone's going to be the best in the world at something. So why can't it be you? Okay. What's your greatest fear? Um, my greatest fear is that uh, I will have gotten distracted in my career in a, in a manner that um, I have uh, failed to serve my community in the way that I originally wanted to. And I'm able to make opportunities available to, to individuals for whom it's not normally accessible. Um, and that, you know, I uh, um, got distracted in the art of bridging that gap and to, you know, maybe take care of other, other, you know, things that I felt like I had to do in life, you know, um, giving up my passion for music to, you know, to make a living or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, my, my fear is that, that that part of my career will leave me forever and that I won't be able to achieve those dreams I had as a child. All right. Um, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? I feel like music is the greatest superpower. You can play music and you can unite literal, uh, you know, communities together, entire countries. You can net people across countries. Um, you know, I don't know. It's tough to say. It's I, I would say um, if I had to be granted a, uh, a conventional superpower, uh, I would really love uh, teleportation for the same reason that I really love social media is because at any point I want to be able to go into an environment and, and uh, learn what makes that environment such a great environment to be in. Um, I would want to, you know, go across seas and I'd want to see uh, the London Philharmonic do, do a performance, you know, without having to buy a plane ticket to, to go do that. You know, uh, I'd, I'd want to be able to, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, I can't, I can only, go to uh, ITG for one day. Oh, that's fine. You know, never mind the fact that you have to buy a plane ticket and get a place to stay and do all those things. And like over a thousand dollars. No, none of that. Just, just, you know, I'm here today and I'm there in an hour. Right. There you, go. To see that, you know, I'm, and then I'm back. I'm there with you. All right. What <laughs> aspect of the trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? What aspect of the trumpet playing do I feel is the most overrated? Uh, high range. Um, and I, and yeah, I'll say actually specifically, um, the way that we approach high range, because, uh, there's just far too many trumpet players who will, um, negate the fundamental aspects of playing the instrument and what makes us sound good in order to play the high notes. Um, so definitely overrated. Okay. What do you think is the most underrated? Um, sound as as crazy as it is i know obviously as teachers we focus on on uh sound and tone quality etc um but the sound is the element of uh of your identity as a musician and a lot of times we throw it away because we want to get a gig you know i have to sound a specific way um but how do you sound you right how do you sound your uh you know your own identical or uh, not identical but your own genuine um uh human art of expression. That's the part of, of sound that I think is, is underrated. We don't spend enough attention becoming the best versions of ourselves. Great. Right, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Stop worrying about whether or not you're going to make it. Um, I, you know, I just, you know, get rid of that, that pesky imposter syndrome. Uh, give yourself permission to follow your dreams. Right. And uh, what advice would you give yourself about life? Um, life is unpredictable and uh, we can never predict what happens uh, even tomorrow. And so be uh, adaptable. Uh, don't be apologetic about uh, changing course if and when you need to or want to. 
uh, and just, you know, live your life to the fullest according to the, um, the, the environment and situations that you're enjoying today. Awesome. Final question for you, Marcus. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I want my legacy to be, um, I want people to know me as an individual who worked tirelessly in bridging the gap between um, classically trained musicians and mainstream culture, uh, that people um, realize that they actually love classical music, um, you know, and uh, what they maybe think uh, thought that they knew about classical music and why they thought they uh, could never kind of get into it. Uh, they realized was just a preconceived notion that, um, that uh, ultimately isn't true that, you know, everyone can enjoy music and that uh, everyone loves music, whether they know about, about it or not. So that's my goal. My, that's what I want my, that's what I want my Lexi to be. Awesome. All right. Well, you're certainly working towards that and uh, you're, you're young and, and you've got time, but uh, I know that every day, you know, you just, you do the best you can and just keep, keep moving on. So uh, thanks man for, for hanging with me. This has been really great. And as I said earlier, uh, links are in the show notes for uh, Marcus's website. Uh, you can check out what he's doing uh, in terms of the, uh, his compositions uh, and also, you know, keep tab of, of uh, things that are going on with NTC and with the uh, multi-track competition. Uh, look for season three uh, to, to be dropping at some point. We'll hopefully have a, a, a live announcement or something for that. But uh, thanks, man. This is very inspirational. Uh, I really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck at everything you do. And thank you for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, uh, follow us on social media, follow Marcus on social media too. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have an idea for a future hang, please let me know. And uh, hopefully we can make it happen. So until next time, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. For hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Uh-huh.